almost one week to Thanksgiving. Can anybody believe it? We will not have podcasts on Thanksgiving or the Friday after. We're still aiming to have a podcast, even if it's an abbreviated one, on the Wednesday before. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Atassi. And on Thursdays, we usually have some interesting news to talk about. We do today. Bob Cup is the House Speaker who did everything possible to thwart the will of the voters on gerrymandering. And at year's end, his time is at last done. Cup got the job after Larry Householder, who was indicted in the biggest bribery case in State House history. So, Laura, who's next in line for this seat that has lost so much of its sparkle because of the last two people to sit in it? Well, it is not another old guy from Lima. <laughs> so I am going to take that as an improvement. <laughs> It is State Representative Derek Marin. He's a Lucas County Republican. So, I mean, Lucas County at least has a big city in it, in Toledo. Um, House Republicans picked him over State Republican, uh, State Representative Jason Stevens of Lawrence County and Phil Plummer of Montgomery County. It only took the caucus 90 minutes. And Marin is a 36-year-old realtor and real estate investor. So, yeah, a little bit different. Did I read somewhere that he voted not to oust Larry Householder? Or was that a different candidate? I did not specifically read that, but I, I don't want to comment on whether that's true or not. Okay, so I've stumped Laura. Let's see if I can stump <laughs> Lisa and Layla later in the podcast. So do we know what to expect? Are we going to get more nonsense? Is he going to be part of this lineup of people that play games and go with party over people? I mean, he was he was voted as the, the leader and a lot of... This Republican super majority in the state house has been about party over people. So I don't know that they would elect him if he was going to be some kind of progressive or compassionate conservative. I I don't expect that he's going to be all of a sudden like, let's work across partisan lines and really, you know, compromise with Democrats. I don't see that happening. I mean, he this this position has a lot of power. He gets to decide what bills are voted on by the lower chamber, which die in committee. Um, and they've got a big job to do in the next year, a massive two-year state budget to plan next year, a number of controversial issues, including abortion and taxes. He's been in the state house since 2016, so he's actually term limited too. He will not be a long-time speaker, at least in this round. I, I And I get that he's going to carry out the Republican agenda. He's a Republican in a Republican body. But as we saw over the last four years, there's some wing nuts in that party that wanted to do pretty ridiculous things. Remember the, the hearing where they had the doctor talking about how you get mm -hmm. magnetized by the vaccine. So it, I guess we just need to profile him to see, is he a common sense kind of guy or will he cater to the crazy element that we've seen evolve in the gerrymandered districts of Ohio. Yeah, I really look forward to learning more about him because, yeah, you did stump me. I know very little about him. And, you know, Ohioans in general don't know much about him. So we definitely need to dig into his background, see where else he's, you know, what else he's done. He was appointed the chair of the House and Means Committee by Bob Cup in February of 2021. So he has his blessing. Okay. It's today in Ohio. Why is the Ohio Senate trying to neutralize the state school board and put education decisions in a department overseen by a governor's cabinet member? Layla, we don't, the, the state school board 
was not much of a news source for a long time mm -hmm. until it became so heavily politicized. And we've talked about it a good bit over the past couple of years. This would be a sea change in how schools are governed. Exactly. Reporter Laura Hancock tells us that the members of the state board of education were actually in a meeting Tuesday when their phones started blowing up with text messages, letting them know that just down the street, Republican senators had had laid out the details of this proposed Senate Bill 178, which would pretty much strip away all of the board's responsibilities and and hand them to this cabinet member and that the Department of Education would no longer report to the state board, but to this cabinet member. So some board members afterward told Laura Hancock that this is purely a political move now that there are seven, can or seven Democrats on the board and that some of them defeated conservative candidates, including two incumbents on November 8th, because that means conservatives would face greater opposition in, in the ideological battle that's been waging within the school board over issues like, you know, transgender protections, vaccines, critical race theory and racism. You know, the board passed that anti-racism resolution in the wake of George Floyd's death and then famously rescinded it in October of 2021. And remember that Mike DeWine then asked two board members to step down after they voted against rescinding that resolution. I mean, so you're right. They make news now and uh, we never noticed them before. But, you know, the guy who introduced Senate Bill 178 initially steered clear of all that. The language that was uh, that that state Senator Bill Reinecke had built into this bill when it was introduced in May just says that the General Assembly is trying to reform the functions and responsibilities of the state board, state board of education, blah, blah, blah. Tuesday, it became known exactly what that means. It's going to restructure and rename the Ohio Department of Education to the Department of Education and Workforce, which would be called by this really stupid acronym, DO, <laughs> and <laughs> that they all answer to a cabinet member, as we said. And and so basically, it leaves the board to, to you know, their responsibilities now are going to be choosing the state superintendent and, and like handling discipline of teachers and stuff. Mm. Look, I've lived in states where that's how it works, and we we didn't have the politicization there. That 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 the Department of Education, it's a very serious role, and the executive branch runs it, and you don't have elections. I, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've lived here, I go in and I look at the ballot, and you see a bunch of political hacks running for school board, and you think they're just trying to get their pension. What what is the point mm. of having these folks do it? Nobody really knows who they are. And in other states, they have a Department of Education and the person that oversees it answers to the governor. And I know it's a different era, but it wasn't politicized. You generally had educators answering to the executive who who had ideas. Lisa, how did it work in Texas? I don't ask me. I didn't have kids in school, so I don't know. But <laughs> I do know that the State Board of Education in Texas has, a, you know, inordinate power over textbooks that are chosen nationwide. I do know that. Hmm. I wonder, though, I mean, why Department of Education and Workforce? Because, I mean, it's not that they mm. just needed a catchy acronym, right? I mean, there's so much part of the government that's already devoted to economic development and jobs. Like, education should be about education. Well, I, I get that there's an end goal, but... Well, they say well, so. So this this is going to create two subdivisions of the Department of Education. One's going to focus on the primary and secondary education, preschools, and college readiness, and things. And and you know, then 
There is this one that's focused on, you know, making sure students have the skills and training to enter the workforce. And so there's two two divisions there. And Reinecke says that he proposed this bill because, frankly, Ohio students are falling behind. They haven't adequately recovered from the setbacks during remote learning, and, and they're not being properly trained to enter the workforce. So he thinks the state should wrangle control of all of that, not just the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, education piece, but the the workforce readiness is is a part of that. So there, well, there is a strong argument to be made that if you want to break the cycle of poverty that we discuss so often in Northeast Ohio, you have to prepare people to have a means of living when they get out of school. And I, I know what you're saying, Laura, about you got to teach people to think, and you got education isn't memory; it's learning to analyze and solve problems. But if somebody gets out of school and they're not going to college or they're not going to a trade school and they're not really qualified to do anything, then they kind of saddle the community again. And so there have been a lot of efforts to prepare people to say, hey, look, you, you want to get out of school and go right into mm-hmm. the workforce you can. It's not a bad thing. I and, just don't uh, want to see it as an assembly line, right? Like, like let's, let's treat kids differently than economic development. But you still have your local school board. I mean, yeah. this doesn't usurp the power of the school board. Look, I can't believe anybody's going to argue for what we've had the last two years. I mean, the stuff that went on in the state school board was wackadoo. It was just crazy nonsense. When they repealed the whole idea about what could be taught about racism in the school, it was appalling the way the politics played into that. And I, I think the Republicans are onto something here. I think this could professionalize really? how we So you think this education. will depoliticize the questions around education? I think that this I, could potentially just help them control mm-hmm. uh, the, yeah, the I love ideology it, it's like, of it. They did wackadoo things. Like a wackadoo governor couldn't do right. wackadoo things. Yeah, right? I mean, like, exactly. All of the wackadoo-ness <laughs> came from the Republican side of from things. From elected so politicians. Now they're trying but, to keep a hand on it. Okay, but... Remember, the the governor nominates, the legislature approves. And why Mike DeWine had to ask those two people to go is he said, the legislature told me they're not going to approve you. The the governor is not a wackadoo. And the people really like the governor. They voted in huge numbers for him. And he's devoted to education. So I I would bet that if he were running the Department of Education, it would be focused on education. This removes a level of politics. Look, we elect the governor. So people have a say in who would oversee the whole thing, but you wouldn't have these nameless people that you, that are on the board doing the stuff they did. It was it was a crisis. You know, the whole CRT thing invaded it in part because we didn't have a responsible school board. I wonder how that would have played out if you just had somebody answering up to I, the executive. I don't plan. know though, Chris. I mean, imagine if Jim Renacy were governor, what would happen? Well, we'd have four years of hell and we'd kick him out and bring somebody in to restore yeah, sanity. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. DeWine will not always be governor. And who yes. who knows then who you'd be handing the entire control over to. I mean, it's uh, it's actually... But we debated who should be governor in Ohio this year. There wasn't a debate over who should be on the school board. Tell me, who did you vote for for the school board? What's the name? Anybody? Anybody? I did not get to vote. Mine was not up for election. I actually checked. 
All right. Anybody else? But you know who you voted for for governor. So there's accountability mm-hmm. in that. Look, I'm glad they're doing this because it creates a good debate. Because what we had the last two years was pretty much a nightmare. So talking about it, I, yeah, I salute them for, for trying it. I don't trust their motive. I think they're doing it now because three Democrats won. But at least we will have an interesting discussion. It's today in Ohio. Is there an unintended consequence of a constitutional amendment passed last week that wipes out all of the rules on bail bonds? Lisa, when you rush things into the Constitution the way the Republicans did, sometimes you end up with big questions. not a lot of clarity, apparently. So we know that issue one passed overwhelmingly. It allows judges to to set higher bail amounts in the name of public safety. But some legal experts across the state are questioning, did it actually nullify all the Ohio Supreme Court rules regarding bail that are ensconced in Rule 46. Some of those conditions, say, you know, they have to, the, the point of Rule 46 is they want to impose the least restrictive conditions that will ensure a defendant's appearance in court. So that means things like that are in Rule 46, they have to have their initial bail hearing within two court days after their arrest. Defendant statements made during bail proceedings can't be used in evidence in their trial. There are financial and non-financial conditions like house arrest, personal recognizance bonds, travel restrictions, and then factors that judges use to determine bail amounts and conditions. Some people say that's going to be all thrown out the window because of issue one. Uh, The ACLU of Ohio attorney Patrick Higgins says this lack of clarity is especially not good for the most vulnerable people in the criminal justice system. He says a cash bail does ensure appearance. It's not supposed to be a punishment. It's not supposed to be a public safety measure either. And with the Ohio Public Defender's Office, Nikki Klum, she says she's not really sure how this is going to play out. She is urging the legislature to take up two proposed bills to minimize this confusion. These two bills, House Bill 315 and Senate Bill 182, would create new bail laws that they, you know they can only set a secured bond equal to 25% of the monthly income after expenses of the defendant. Judges would have 24 hours to make uh, decisions on pretrial release. These bills, though, were introduced 18 months ago, and they've been languishing since then. Well, there are a couple of things here. One, why didn't this come up right. before the election? I mean, if, if it's so confusing, there are a lot of people trying to, to keep this from getting passed. Where were they on this? And two, one of the things that could determine the future, if, if this is true, if those laws go out the window, the jails are going to fill up in a big way. And the taxpayers are going to be saddled with the very expensive costs of that. And I think we'll howl about it. Now, that'll be worse than the cities and the legislature pretty much hates the cities, so they may not care. But that will be a factor because we know when bail is used Mm -hmm. a lot, the jails mm-hmm. fill up. And the Ohio Prosecuting Attorneys Association, uh, Lewis Tobin, a spokesman for them, he says issue one only addresses the public safety consideration. He says that the Supreme Court will still have rulemaking authority on some aspects of Rule 46. But he said he still had a little doubt because he said some aspects of Rule 46 would still be effective. And he also opposes these proposed bills, uh, House Bill 315 and Senate Bill 182. He says they're unnecessary. There's no funding for the staff that would be needed for this. And, you know, he said it could potentially allow defendants to call their victims as witnesses in their bail hearings. 
uh, this will be settled by the Ohio Supreme Court. And Justice Pat DeWine pretty much campaigned for the passage of this issue. So it'll be interesting to see where they come down on this confusion. It is today in Ohio. Ohio's heartbeat bill that all but bans abortions is hung up in the courts. And one of its problems is that it is confusing. How is Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman working to end that confusion, Laura? He wants to redefine the met, the the words that are in this bill so that it really spells out what kind of complications a woman would have to be suffering in order to be able to get an abortion in Ohio. And so the reason is the law defines the law, the heartbeat law allows women to get an abortion, even if cardiac activity has been heard when there is a medical emergency or a medical necessity. And the term describing medical necessity was totally new in that law. Medical emergency had already been defined as a condition that in the physician's understanding complicates the woman's pregnancy as to necessitate an abortion, prevent the death of her, or avoid serious risk of substantial and irreversible impairment or major bodily function. So that's spelled out. But medical necessity is a condition of a pregnant woman that a doctor believes would complicate the pregnancy, necessitate immediate performance or inducement of abortion. But that is not very specific. You know, what throws me about this is that that ever since Dobbs came down, the legislators have said, we're going to ban abortion. We're going to prohibit it in Ohio. And they were supposed to come back after the election in their lame duck session and work on it or do it next year, which would make the heartbeat bill moot. So it's odd to me that Huffman is doing this. And I, I just wonder whether he's expecting the debate about an abortion prohibition to be so fevered that that he doesn't want to wait that he wants to take care of this because he doesn't know when we'll end up with a bill that prohibits abortion. Well, that's possible. Or maybe they figure this is going to be the building block for the next bill, right? That that you're going to need to define this regardless. So you might as well do it in the law you already have. Yeah, it just seems like it's a waste of time if you're planning an entirely new bill that will negate this one completely. Uh, you'd love to hear what they're talking about in the back rooms. Look, you saw what happened in all the states where abortion was on the ballot, right? It's legal. And so they know that's going to come here. They're actually Frank LaRose, who is such a dirty player, is trying to change the rules on how you put things on the ballot to stop people from getting to this to the ballot. He's trying to take democracy away from people. Something we'll be talking about later, uh, maybe tomorrow. But but that's coming. So maybe they're afraid of it because in every state where it's been tested, it's pretty much been approved. It's today in Ohio. We'll learn today whether a storied Cleveland Law School changes its name. Layla, which one is it and why is it so controversial? Well, so it's Cleveland State University's law school. Their board of trustees today will be taking up a recommendation to strip John Marshall's name from the university's Cleveland Marshall College of Law. This has been a really long simmering debate among current and former students and school officials. At the heart of it is the fact that the school's namesake, the famed U.S. Supreme Court Justice, who served 34 years as Chief Justice of the High Court, was a slave owner. And Marshall bought and sold slaves throughout his life. He, he never chose to free his slaves, unlike many of his contemporaries. And he supported attempts to repatriate freed Black people to Liberia. All of that 
isn't quite reflective of, of the values the university wants to embrace, especially in a majority minority city like Cleveland. So in 2020, the school received a petition calling for the name change. So the school formed an ad hoc committee and advisory committee to study the request this spring and summer. And, and a law school naming committee finished an 18-month review in February. After that, President Laura Bloomberg issued a recommendation in favor of uh, changing the name. And on Wednesday, the trustees, Academic Affairs and Student Success Committee voted to forward the recommendation onto the full board for approval today. If the board votes yes, it's going to take effect immediately. But it's important to note that the recommendation only strikes Marshall from the name. It doesn't contemplate a new name yet. So at least for the time being, it sounds like we'll be left with the Cleveland College of Law. I like that. Actually, they should stick with that. Here's the thing. I, I sent out a text message on the subtext account about this, and I included a link to Bob Higgs' fully reported story about how we got here. Um, and I was surprised at the overwhelming negative reaction. I, I if, uh, Across the board, people were saying, this is cancel culture, that Marshall was a, a story jurist. It was a different time. And, you know, and multiple people said the next step is going to change the name of our capital and the, the state in the Northwest because Washington was a, a slave owner, too. I, I did not expect that. I thought there'd be some of that. I thought there'd be some people saying we're just pretending history doesn't exist. And other people would say, look, he was a slaveholder. It's not appropriate for a law school. But, man, it was overwhelming. I, I did not see it coming. Hmm. Wait, so overwhelming in favor of the name change. Against no, the no, name no, change. Against, against the it. name change. Okay. Saying that we got, the people were saying we're stamping out history. This oh, guy oh, was, the, right. I think, the longest serving chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. And his work, if you read Bob's story, cemented it as a very strong third branch of government. And that to remove his name negates that part of our history. And it was, I mean, it's conservative not conservative, liberal, they were pretty much in unison saying this is a bad thing because where does it stop? And, you know, Lisa, you've you've mentioned a few times you're worried about how far we're going to go on this. And if slaveholding is the issue, do you change the name of our capital? Well, and we did a roundtable on this a while back when this first came to light. And and my my take on it was that, uh, you know, we're looking at historical figures through a modern lens. And we're, like you said, we're negating, he was a lion in, in, in the judiciary. And, you know, and I think I even said, well, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, he was a womanizer, but you don't see anyone taking his name off of buildings. So, and I also said, you could use it as a teachable moment. If you keep the name, you can say, okay, this is John Marshall, but he was a complicated person. So you can use it as a teachable moment in the law school. Yeah, I just, I, the, the sentiment on this is is so strong. I I just wonder if how, how much the conversation has been had. Bob's story lays it out. They had public hearings and they did all sorts of things. And the sentiment was, a law school should not be named for somebody that owned slaves and was adamant about it. I mean, he's not just in the owned them. He, you know, even when he died, he wanted to make sure his slaves and for the most part remained slaves. This became, was a movement of the students, right? Like I, I think it's great to ask people what they think, but I also, the, the people who go in, you know, who go to the school and are members of it now, I think they should have more weight. 
Although people who graduated from that school and whose degrees are from Cleveland Marshall School of Law, a bunch of them feel strongly that you're you're taking away part of the legacy. I, again, I was surprised. I did not expect it to be so one-sided. We'll see what happens today. It's today in Ohio. Frontier Airlines, which has a bunch of flights out of Cleveland, has a new all-you-can-fly pass, which sounds on the surface like, hey, is that a good deal? But Lisa, maybe not so It depends. If you're a flexible traveler, it might be a good deal. But if you want to uh, sign on to Frontier's Go Wild Pass for $599, then you need to do it by the end of day today. So if you get this Go Wild Pass, it can be used on unlimited flights for one year. That will start in May of 2023. And then if you want to renew it, it's going to cost you $2,000 a year. But there are restrictions. There are lots of blackout days. The flights can only be booked one day before departure. So this would be like a spontaneous or a flexible traveler. Fees and taxes still apply. So you're not paying for your seat, but you're going to pay for, you know, uh, luggage, you know, round trip seat assignments, that kind of thing. So if you take a look at a a $200 flight from Cleveland to Orlando, Florida, you wouldn't pay that $200, but there are $83 in taxes and fees. So you're probably going to be paying about that, depending on whether you carry on luggage or not. So Frontier flies to 11 destinations from Hopkins, including Puerto Rico. They are all on the table for this go wild pass. But like I said, if you want it, got to buy it today. Laura, you're always looking at traveling as cheaply as possible. Does this appeal to you? <laughs> no. Did you see, you saw the part, right? That you cannot plan in mm-hmm. advance. I'm sorry. <laughs> that does not sound like me. <laughs> okay. Well, it's an interesting, and it, it, look, it affects us because we have a bunch of their flights. It's today in Ohio. Which former Ohio governor has written a tell-all book that includes includes seeking treatment for sex addiction? Laura, this is a governor who did all sorts of things, has all sorts of accomplishments, but when you write a book that talks about your sex addiction and your philandering, it's kind of going to steal the thunder of the rest of the book. Right. And obviously this is him writing it. It took him 15 years to write. This is Dick Celeste. It's called In the Heart of It All clever, I guess. He's a Lakewood native. He's 85 now, uh, now lives in Colorado, but the book follows his life from childhood through university at Yale and Oxford and his entire political career, diplomatic service, a lot of it in India and the presidency of Colorado College. So obviously I know the name, but I knew very little about him. Um, And he gets to choose what goes into this book, right? Sabrina Eaton, I've got to give her a hat tip. Uh, she's great at reading these political memoirs, so we don't have to. She's done John Boehner's and Jim Jordan. And she gives us these tidbits and takeaways so that you can just read Sabrina's story and you don't have to wade through the entire book. But uh, yes, he goes into his sex addiction. Um, apparently, it was just, you know, the reason he probably didn't end up uh, running for president because he was so... Uh, there's so much baggage in the number of women he was sleeping with. Yeah, he was just sleeping around. It says he started cheating on his wife within two years of getting married. I mean, yes. Here's the thing. He's in a, a sex friend edition. of her mother. Yeah, he's he's in a sex edition program. Usually those are 12-step programs. And in one of the steps, you have to apologize. It sounds like he should have apologized to the entire state <laughs> of Ohio. But I don't recall that happening. I don't either. He does say, I'm not proud. I am not proud of my behavior as a spouse, but he says he doesn't want to get into the gossipy detail of his serial <laughs> infidelities. It's like, okay, that feels kind of like having your cake and eating it too. Yeah. Um, I guess his door. second wife was among the last of his affairs. 
I don't know, fascinating tidbits though uh, about this and guerrilla marketing or guerrilla, I guess, campaign tactics. These are so just intriguing. So he, um, he, he was a Democrat in a Republican state. I mean, sounds similar to today, right? He wasn't very well known. So to get his name in front of voters, he did things like having himself paged at Cleveland Hopkins Airport and at Browns <laughs> games. And then when he wanted to run for governor, he stood next to the shortest candidate as much as possible because he knew that voters like tall people. And then he won by tw- a 20% margin in 1982. Well, I mean- Mike DeWine wouldn't have been able to do that because I don't think there's anybody shorter. So that would have been trouble for the current governor. But yeah, did you read that part and go, wow, paging yourself at Brown's game? Yeah, it's actually brilliant. You know, it's actually, you got to give him points. You you like, but but wow, it's, uh, it is tell-all. He's certainly looking to try to sell copies because you don't talk about your sex life unless you're doing that. Check out Sabrina's story. It's on Cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. We're not going to get to everything, but we have to talk about the minks. Someone sabotaged an Ohio mink farm, freeing a company of minks. Yes, that's the word for a group of minks, a company. How big was this company and what horrible thing happened after they were released? And this story is actually trending nationally this morning. Um, So Lion Farms USA is a really big mink farm in Hoagland Township, which is in Van Wert County in northwestern Ohio. So Monday night, some vandals knocked down a fence. They released 40,000 minks from their cages. They left graffiti behind ALF and we'll be back. And ALF is the acronym for the Animal Liberation Front. 10,000 of these minks are still at large. I wonder if mink is like deer, you know, like mink, minks, I don't know. But anyway, um, so many of these poor minks were run over on US 127 that a snowplow had to come and remove their bodies. That's how bad it was. Oh my God. And, and it's gruesome. It's horrible. So it, so it was near this freeway and, you know, uh, uh, wildlife experts are saying they're probably not going to survive in the wild. Minks though are very aggressive pr- predators for their size. They will mm-hmm. kill prey much larger than them. They're a big problem for people who have poultry or have fish ponds and so on and so forth. But the animal liberation front, this is not the first time they've struck this farm. They claimed credit for a smaller mink release at that same farm in 2013 and only 200 were released back then yeah i the 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 cruelty of this is astounding i mean it just sounds like it was a, a horrible scene but you do wonder now if thousands of minks are in the wild and you know they can survive the climate in ohio have we basically introduced an invasive species that's now going to run out through all the state because they're they're tough little they animals. are and they are aggressively hunting down these 10,000 I mean they've got volunteers out there so they are trying to round them up I know but yeah, come on I they're know. never going to find a fall <laughs> I, mean, I thought, I I thought mink are native to Ohio though isn't it? Are they native? I'm pretty are sure. They I've seen one uh, in my backyard. Really? Uh, you're a couple few years ago. Yes. In at night. Uh, yeah. Huh. Having a fight with an owl, and I know it was a mink. We got very. Cl- I mean, through our window, we could see very closely, and we identified it online. Absolutely. And there was fur flying everywhere after this owl fight. But I'm pretty. So I maybe- want to say they're native, but maybe there aren't that many. I don't. I could be totally wrong. I'm sure we're going to get blasted by, you know, ODNR. <laughs> Well, if they're native, that means that there are natural predators in Ohio that keeps the population in check. So maybe after a few years, it reduces it. It's just this group that was trying to free them and and make a statement ended up causing incredible pain and torture. So 
I, I mean, this was this is a terrible thing they did because a lot of animals died as a result. It sounds like it was just horrible. And you're right, Lisa, it's a national story because how often do you think about thousands and thousands of these things racing about? It's Today in Ohio. That does it for Thursday. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. Friday, we'll wrap up the week of news. Music.